Blog Talk Radio. Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and I want to welcome the callers and chatters to research at the National Archives and Beyond. This show will provide individuals interested in genealogy an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. Special thanks to the Blog Talk Radio team for selecting and featuring this show on their homepage all day today. Also, a special welcome to the Durham and Orange County Genealogical Society. Now, you can join me every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern, where I will have a wonderful lineup of experts who will share resources, stories, and answer your burning genealogy questions. All of my guests share a deep passion and knowledge of genealogy and history. If you have logged in as a guest and wish to participate in the chat, you can sign in through your Facebook account or Blog Talk Radio. Following the show, you are invited to post comments or questions on the Genealogy and History Forum of AfroGenius.com. Well, tonight's show is all about finding enslaved ancestors in Orange County, North Carolina. And I am so happy to have our special guest tonight, Gwendolyn Olson. Now, I have a few questions to ask you. If you had the opportunity to collaborate with a descendant of a slave owner or the enslaved, would you? Do you have information in your family records or research that would open the door for collaboration? Well, family historian Gwendolyn Olson has a fascinating journey to share with us tonight. Gwendolyn has been working so, so hard. She has the patience, the passion, and the drive to search for and find her enslaved ancestors. And I am so happy that she has agreed to share her amazing journey with us tonight. So let me give a warm welcome to Gwen Olson to research at the National Archives and Beyond. Welcome, Gwen. Thank you. I'm so honored to be on your show. Well, it's such an honor to have you on the show once again because we do recall you were on the show back in January. And so let's start at the beginning. What started you on your search to find your enslaved ancestors? 
Well, my dad's first cousin, um, by the name of Isabella Boot, she first inspired me to look further at my roots um, because they threw out this name Easter, and they knew that this was their great-grandmother, but they really couldn't tell me anything about her. Now, my cousin Isabel, I don't know if you recall, she did a lot of research on the Lipscomb family, but I think that this is the first line that I have actually researched that she has not um, researched. I haven't found any evidence of her footsteps, which is really exciting. So my dad's family lived in Spokane for over 100 years. So, um, you know, you start from the most recent ancestors, so that would have been Easter's daughter, Isabel, mm-hmm. and try to get her death certificate to try to get more information about Easter because I had no idea what her maiden name was. So meanwhile, I searched on Ancestry, and I found, you know, through, I knew that her married name was McMahon, and through a lot of persistence, because McMahon can be misspelled in so many different ways, I was able to find Easter and her family in the 1880 census, in the uh, 1900 census, in the 1910 census, but I couldn't find her in the 1870 census. So I kept trying to locate Isabel McMahon Lipscomb, my great-grandmother's death certificate, and she died in um, Spokane, Washington, and I knew she died when my dad was young because he couldn't remember her, and I knew she died after 18, I mean 1930 because she's in the 1930 census. And Isabel um, was old enough to remember her. She was 13 years older than my dad, who was born in uh, 1929, and she could remember her, but they couldn't really tell me what year she was uh, she died in. And so Washington, uh, the state of Washington has a digital archive system, and I couldn't find it on the digital archive system, even though I could find her daughter's, you know, her, all of her daughter's death certificates. So finally, Isabel died, and my second cousin, um, Butch, um, went took her ashes and to bury her in the cemetery that my family's used for over 100 years in Spokane, Washington. And so I said, well, you know, while you're there, would you look for Isabel's um, headstone and see if you can't find out when she died? So he was able to provide me with a uh, death year, and then I was able to call, I mean, write and get her death certificate. So when I got her death certificate, it gave me her last name as Harris. And I'd never heard this name before. You know, I had no idea who she was. And it gave me Isabel's father's name as Henry McMahon. And I know that she had a brother named Henry McMahon, but I could never find her father. So I looked in, um, I started looking back through the census again and still couldn't find her in the 1870 census. So finally, I printed out the entire 1870 census, which I think had something like 60 something pages of all the townships. There was Lebanon, um, Little River Township, Durham Township, and um, a fourth one that's not coming to mind right now. So I printed them all out and went line by line looking for her. And I finally found her as Easter Harris with her with some of her children uh, living in, um, I'm trying to think, um, I think it's living in Little River Township in, um, um, in Orange County. So then I was looking around trying to figure out who her last owner was. So I was looking in the 1870 census, and I realized that she's living near this family, um, this man named Elza Harris. And she was living next to Elza Harris in both the 1870 and 1880 census, along with, um, you know, along with her family. So I began to wonder if Elza Harris might be her, um, be her slave owner. 
so I went to the 1860 uh, uh, census, the slave record, the slave census, and the 1850 slave census for Elsa Harris, and I found a female slave that matched Easter's age. And I also, on the 1860 census, more significantly, I found some other slaves matching the ages of her older children. So that let me know that I was on the right track and had the right slave owner. So then I was trying to find who her husband was and what her husband's name was. So I was finally able to locate her husband's name thanks to Dr. Barnetta White-McGee's book, Somebody Knows My Name, and a truly invaluable resource. And it turns out that uh, my father was named for her husband. Uh, Her husband's name was uh, Nathan McMahon, and my father's name was Warren Nathan Smith. And so then on further research, I discovered that Nathan was born on the Turrentine Plantation and was purchased by the McMahons. I'm sorry, was ended up on the McMahon household when Mary Jane Turrentine, who'd inherited him, married um, Dr. Charles McMahon. So that's where the McMahon uh, name came from. So at one point, there's a um, Dr. Tra- well, Dr. Charles McMahon moved to Florida after the Civil War, immediately after the Civil War. And there's, and I never could find Nathan McMahon in the census. I think that the census missed him, as they did so many blacks. But there's a gap in his children's um, birth between the time that, uh, around the time that Dr. Charles McMahon moved to Florida. So I think that Nathan probably went with him and then came back and fathered the last child, uh, Carolyn, just before he died. Um, And Carolyn was born in 1875. Uh, By the time his two oldest children, Mary and Henry, died, I mean, were married in 1878, he's listed as dead on their marriage certificates. So, and the other uh, significance is that his youngest daughter, Kara, uh, who was nicknamed Kara, her name is Carolyn, um, her, one of her daughters' name was Florida. And Mary, um, Easter's other oldest daughter, her mother-in-law changed her name from Rachel to Miami. I don't know, you know, to reflect, I guess, the exoticness of Florida. My goodness. <laughs> you have taken us on quite an interesting journey, starting with the known. You went back to 1870. You couldn't find them. You went back <laughs> into the census. You went to the graveyard. I mean, this was a journey. Now tell us, how long did it take you to go in this, to even engage in this this process of discovering, and then you picked up the Harris name? My goodness, I'm, I can imagine people listening to you and saying, oh, how could anyone ever do this? Well, we're probably talking about a process that lasted, it probably took over a year to put everything, all of this part together. Okay. Um, Because I'd get a little bit here, do a little more research, get a little bit there. Um, But the the real key was to be able to find Easter's maiden name, which was, you know, which was Harris. And then I had to put all the other bits and pieces together. So then I had to find the rest of the family because on the uh, slave census there were um, three male slaves on the slave census and I had to figure out who they were and if they were in any way related to Easter and so you know I don't know what I was thinking thinking I could possibly find them but I thought well let me see if I can you know locate these people so I started looking for you know burial places of 
different family members. So I was using um, cemeterycensus.com, pulling up Orange County uh, censuses and looking, putting, plugging in the Harris name. And I kept coming back to this place called Old Harris Grove Cemetery, which was listed as a black cemetery. And I said, okay, these people have got to be related to me because as I did further research, most of the people that I found with the Harris name that looked like they might be related were all buried in this cemetery, but I didn't know anything about it. And and Harris is such a common name. I said, well, they can't all be related to me. Well, it turned out that they were. Um, It was one big family. So what finally happened was um, I um, put a query on Afrogenius, another great website, asking if anyone knew anything about this old Harris Grove Cemetery. And it sat there for at least a year. And then this young man by the name of Davion emailed me and said, I'm researching the old Harris Grove Cemetery. Do you know anything about it? And I was telling him, well, you know, I know that family members are buried there, but I don't know how all these people are related. And he told me, well, my great-great-grandfather is buried there, but I don't know, you know, anything else about it. And he was trying to research so he put me in contact with another um, cousin, turned out to be cousin by the name of Beverly, gave me her phone number and said, call her. She should be able to tell me something. So I started talking. I called and I started talking to Beverly, and we started kind of saying, okay, well, there is this person and that person, and have you heard these names? And she said, no, I've never heard any of these names. So she said um, she was at her mother's house, and she says, Mom, have you ever heard of anyone named Easter Harris McMahon? And her mother is 93 years old, and her mother said, yes, that's my granddaddy's sister. <laughs> and I said, wow, oh, bingo. You know, at her at her advanced age, if I had waited 10 years, you know, she'd be dead, and I'd never get that information. That's right. So, yeah, so using that, I said, okay, now I can put all these other Harrises, they can slot them in, because most of the ones that I couldn't figure out, you know, where I couldn't figure out who they were, they were Frank's children. And, you know, Frank and his children. So I was able to do a lot of other um, research with that. So then Davion, my little investigator, um, started searching around for other things. And he went on Afrogenius, not Afrogenius, um, Ancestry.com's message board. And he saw that someone was looking for something about Elsa Harris, looking for information about Elsa Harris. So he contacted me and he says, you know, Gwen, Elsa Harris was our slave owner, and there was someone asking about it. Do you think this is the same person? And I said, yes. And so he contacted her and asked her if she'd be willing to talk to me, and she said, sure. So Okay, hold me. on. Mm-hmm. Hold on one second. Let's take it back for a minute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I like to go back and summarize a little. Okay, yes. so you got to a point where you decided to do a query, and you went to Afrogenius.com. Yes. And on com. You then connected with someone who was a Harris. Yes. From North Carolina. Yes. That yes, Harris lives in Virginia, yes. lives in Virginia but the, the, the connection was still with North Carolina. Yes. Am I following you? Yes. Okay. And then you connected with someone else. And that yes. person then went to the elder to yes. ask her the question. Yes. And she then confirmed that there was a, a family relationship. Yes, because wow. I would have never found it otherwise. Um, I had no reason to think that Frank and um, Easter were siblings. And Easter is my great-great-grandmother. 
and this was her grandfather. And so she's much closer, you know, to that relationship and had heard my cousin, I mean, my great-great-grandmother Easter's name before, you know, Easter McBannon. She knew the name. Mm-hmm. And her daughter didn't know the name. So if she had died by then, you know, she if she'd been dead, that whole connection would have been lost or that at least a lot connection. harder to, yes. Yes, so, which, which basically tells us, I mean, you you still need to make certain that you go to the oldest person in that family who could perhaps possible. give you the information as soon as possible. Do not yes. wait. And yes. it sounds like for you, all the, the, the dots were coming into place. Everything was connecting so that you were able to now identify that relationship. So then you went to... Ancestry.com. Well, Davion went to Ancestry.com, and he was looking around while I'm gathering together all of the names of all these Harrises, these new Harrises that are now on my list. And he was looking around and found that somebody was asking a question about Elsa Harris. And he explained to her that Elsa Harris had owned our family, and he wanted to know if she'd be interested in talking to me. And she said, sure. So I contacted her, and she very graciously shared information. I explained to her, and she's very interested in our family, and she probably has nearly as much of my family tree as I do incorporated into her research on her family. Very so interesting. So we started collaborating, and she would send me stuff. She would go to the um, um, do her research, and she would send me information. And I was able to, you know, put together, like she would uh, send me papers on estate estate sale and i could show her well that is you know one of easter's sons that's one of easter's sons that's one of easter grandchildren because on the estate sales it doesn't say whether the person purchasing those things were either white or black and i explained to her that according to my family mythology elsie was fond of easter and they had you know i'm sure he was a slave owner but you know it wasn't like a really bitter experience she lived next to him until he died with her family so you know there wasn't a lot of uh hard feelings and then it turned out that um louise was able to be a really big help because she had the names of elsa's um daughter's husbands which i didn't have i hadn't even thought about looking for that um their married names and she noticed that this black man by the name of daniel harris was living next to one of Elsa's daughters, and she said, hey, do you think that this might be another brother? So I looked at the name, the brother's name, and then looked at the names of his first children. You know, his first child was Daniel. His second one was Nathan. His third one was Easter. His fourth one was Frank. Uh-huh. So this has got to be the other one. There was no other re- reason for him to have children living next to her, um, her um, Elsa's daughter, having children with those specific, I'm sorry, specific names. So that's the way we identified the second male in the slave census. And then going down, we could see where the families, um, Daniel's and uh, Daniel's descendants were interacting with Frank's descendants and Frank's children and Easter's children. And as a matter of fact, Daniel is buried in the old Harris Cemetery that you know got me in contact with um, Davion. And his family, they're all buried at the Old Harris um, um, Cemetery, Old Harris Grove Cemetery, the Old Harris Grove AME Church. Now, one of the things that I want to just say, and excuse me for for 
cutting in for a second, but you have a photo that has been on the Blog Talk Radio all day long homepage. Can you tell us who those people are? So that picture is of James Richmond Harris, who is Louise's ancestor and one of the um, sons of Elsa Harris. And he fought in the Confederacy uh, during the Civil War. And I believe he's in his Confederate uniform in that picture. And the woman is his wife, Nanny. Okay. And so you would then, excuse me for cutting in and, and stopping you, but I just wanted folks to just have like a visual to to get an understanding that you have collaborated now. You are collaborating with the uh, descendant yes. of the slave owner, and she is willingly providing you information. Yes. And I do, I look for things for her. She looks for things for me. And so um, one of the other, the, well, the old Harris Grove um, AME Church for my family is pretty much the heart of my family, you know, from Easter, Frank, and Daniel. It was founded in 1890 by the family. And according to the survey done in 2011, there's about 150 people buried there. Mm-hmm. And the last burial that I could find in that um, cemetery is, um, was in 1968, and it's been since abandoned. But you know, there the cemetery is still there, and you know, it's got all the family members there. Mm-hmm. So, um, so the other thing that we found once I found Frank is that we were able to locate Frank's marriage certificate. He married um, Sally Ray in 1867, and on his marriage certificate, it gave us the name of Frank's mother. Frank's mother's name was Mary. And so, and this person I talked to, Beverly's mother, her name was Mary after, you know, Frank's mother. Mm-hmm. And Easter also had a daughter named Mary, you know, so the name Mary was carried down through the family. So now I have the name of my third great-grandmother, uh, Mary. So um, I was trying, and I'm assuming that Mary was the mother of both Easter, Frank, and Daniel. Uh-huh. So I went back to, um, Elza went back through his slave papers, and I could find Mary, someone that appeared to be Mary, through um, 1830. But then I hit a dead end uh, because I can't find Elza's parents. And so the the really important piece of information that Louise was able to provide me with was the fact that Elza was raised by his stepfather. And his stepfather's name was Willis Roberts. Mm-hmm. And she found Willis Roberts' estate papers. Um, Willis Roberts died in 1814. She was able to provide me with his estate papers, and she just passed them on because they had some slave names on them, but I don't think she paid that much attention to it. And mm-hmm. I saw what was clearly a family of slaves in that slave paper, on that, I mean, on that will, on the, um, on the will. And... On one of the names on the will that jumped out at me was Mary, uh, Easter's mother. So there were also a bunch of other uh, women, and it the on the top it says the woman Lydia, and then it says you know the girl Mary, the girl Patty. Um, let me see some of the other names, Fan, the girl you know Fanny, and they're all listed as girls. Fanny, Mariah, really, were all listed as girls. Mm-hmm. So this is clearly a mother and her children. 
and there were seven slaves that were listed. And by the time it was proved in um, proved in 1828 when Sarah died, um, Willis's wife died, there were a few more slaves that were born. So in 1828, all of the slaves were sold, and Mary was sold to Elza. Okay, well, we're going to hold off. We're going to okay. hold off for a second, <laughs> take a break, come back, and find out everything else about what happened to Elsa's slaves. Okay? Okay. at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and you're listening to Gwendolyn Olson. Share with us her fascinating journey of finding her enslaved ancestors. She has taken us through this journey of starting with the known, working back to the point where she has connected with the descendant of the slave owner. She has identified slaves in her 1814 will, and now she's telling us what happened to Elsa's slaves. So back to you. <laughs> okay, so right now they're um, Willis Roberts' former slaves. So there were Lydia, who was the mother, and her children, Patty, Mary, who was my ancestor, Fanny, Rilly, Mariah, and Ned. And by the time the will was proved in 1828, there were three other children, Daniel, Penny, and Fanny. Uh, Fanny's infant, I'm sorry. So... Um, Elsa's brother, Ephraim, he purchased Lydia for $90.02, and she's listed at, by, as at least 45 years old in the 1820 census. And okay. by the 1830 census, Ephraim doesn't, no longer has her, and by 1840, he moved to Tennessee. So I don't know if she was sold or if she died. Uh-huh. And then Elsa purchased Mary for $299.01, and, of course, that confirmed the information on Frank's marriage certificate. And Mary is in the 1830 and 1840 slave census, but she is gone by the 1850 census, so I think that she must have died by then. Mm-hmm. So Eli Woods, who is a neighbor of Elza's, purchased Patty for $305.06, and I found her in the 1830 census, but I couldn't find her after that. Okay, now so let's Fanny, talk about how you found them, because some may be wondering, how are you oh. saying you found them in the 1830 census? Okay, so one of the things, you know, if you look back before the 1850 census, if you look at how they document the slaves, they say, okay, this person has this many slaves between this age and that age, and then a certain number of slaves between, you know, another age and another age. So I'm looking at the census, 
And assuming that, well, actually I know, that all of these people have to have been born before 1814. And so um, looking back at the 1810 census, Willis Roberts' 1810 census, where he sort of, I think in the 1810 census they just ask you how many slaves you have. And I think okay. it wasn't until like the 1820 census that they ha- start separating them by age. So I was able to kind of slot the people in ages and try to figure out, you know, they were born between X year and X, you know, between certain years. Yeah. And so the other thing, you know, I have to assume that Fanny's older because she has an infant. And then there are three of them, um, Daniel, um, let me see, Daniel, Penny, and Fanny's infant that weren't born in 1814. They were in eight, you know, they were children in 1828, but they weren't born in 18. 18- 14. So I mm-hmm. have to assume that they have to be younger than, you know, by 18, um, 1830, they have to be younger than a certain, you know, a certain age. They couldn't have been born by 1814, so that would mm-hmm. make them, what, 16 or younger. So when I'm looking for Daniel, Penny, and Fanny, I'm looking for children that are younger than 18, um, younger than 16. And mm-hmm. then when I'm, I'm then on the other cases, I'm looking for, you know, females because it does separate them by female and male, and I'm following females, you know, between certain ages. And then, and you can kind of narrow the ages down because, oh, I wish I had my, let me see. They have, they typically separated, at least in 1830, uh, free white, wait, uh, free, well, even free slaves under five, uh, five through nine, 30 through 39, and I think that's 45 and over. So yes. you can kind of slot it in by that. So say if there's one that is in the 30 through 39 um, age group um, in the 1830 census, and then if I go to the 1840 census and they're still in, say, the 30 through 39 uh, um, slot, then I have to assume that they're 39 and they were 30, you know, in, in the previous census. So... Do you know what I mean? Yes, so, following you. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I can so I can sort of narrow down the ages that they had to be. So say Patty, um, I was able to narrow down that in 1820 they she had to be somewhere between four and nine, and in um, 1830 between ten and 23, and Mary also had to be between four and nine, and between 24 and 25 in 1830. Um, so. Yeah, so I was able to kind of narrow down their ages that way and then mm-hmm. look on the um, slave censuses and and see if I can't find them then. And in some cases, it makes it easy because I'll look on, say, Ephraim Harris, when I looked at the 1830 uh, slave census, he doesn't have a woman, he doesn't have a female slave anymore. So obviously Lydia just isn't there, and I don't mm-hmm. have to worry about the ages. He mm-hmm. has one male slave, and that's it. And Lydia is gone. So, so basically, if you didn't have the 1814 will, mm-hmm. it would have been very difficult for you yes. to then make sense out of who those slaves were. Yes, yes. And, so it, and Louise was the one who helped get you the 1814 will. Yes, she did. And... 
the other thing, and um, I found, and what was even more important is that she gave me a copy of the original will with the original writing that put it into perspective. Because looking at, I found, after she gave me that will, I found where someone had uh, typed it online, you know, put it in a, a will thing, put it online. But you didn't get the sense of it being a family, you know, looking at that. Looking at yes. the actual paper, you get a sense that this is a family. And, and it does so, make sense to get the original. You're yes. saying somebody transcribed it. Someone And the tra- it. transcription did not give you what the original gave you. Yes, yes. So, so some of the slaves I was able to, you know, like, um, well, Mariah was purchased for $364, and, and these prices just kill me, you know, knowing that these ancestors were, they had a um, price on, you know, they were, had a price on their head that they were valued at, you know, they were property. So anyway, I found her in the 1830 slave census, um, but in 1840, John Gates doesn't have any slaves anymore, so I don't know what happened to them. Um, Ned and Daniel were purchased by William Adams for 311 and 212, which tells me how young they are, but I I wasn't able to locate them. And as a matter of fact, um, Fanny, where Fanny and her infant were purchased by um, Elsa's half-sister, Lavinia Roberts, uh, for 354, I think that her infant was the uh, third male slave that Elsa had. I can't prove it, but I, he's the right age, and that third male slave appeared to be related to them somehow. But you know, I had no way of figuring out how he was related, simply because of the way that they treated each other. So it took me about three years to figure out who that who that last male slave was. He was born in 1820. He was much older than the others. Daniel and Frank were both born around 1835, 30, somewhere between. They all kind of put their age around the same time, 1833 to 1834, and um, Easter was born in 1835. And um, so I was finally able to figure out that this, um, last male slave was a man by the name of Simeon Harris. And mm-hmm. I found that out by backtracking information because in, um, first of all, in 1880, one of my Lipscomb relatives married this man by the name of Dave Harris. And I was going, oh, Dave Harris, that name kind of mm-hmm. pops up a lot. Mm-hmm. Frank has a son named Dave. You know, Dave is just a frequent name that pops up on that and that was popping up in that family. And I said, oh, that's really interesting. I wonder who his parents were. Well, I couldn't find who his parents, I couldn't find, figure out who his parents were. And he died somewhere around 1890 because in 1894 his widow remarried. And so I found a marriage certificate for Easter, who was a widow by 1878. I found a marriage certificate for Easter in 1890 where she'd remarried this man by the name of David Lata. And when I went to the archives, I was able to pull up the original, um, not the marriage certificate, but the documentation of the marriage where they wrote all the information in a marriage book, and it lists one of the witnesses as Dave Harris. I'm going, wow, you know, why would this Dave Harris, this Dave Harris has to have some connection with the family in order to be, you know, be a witness at her wedding because you just don't invite people off the street. And I couldn't place him with either Frank or, you know, Daniel Harris. He wasn't, you know, any of 
children, so I couldn't figure out who he was. So finally, on my last trip, I was able to locate um, David's marriage certificate to Sarah Lipscomb and find his father, and his father was Simeon Harris. And I was like, bingo. So wow. I looked up Simeon Harris, and Simeon Harris was exactly the right age to be that missing slave in, on Elza's property. So now I have identified all of the slaves that he owned. He, or it's um, in the... 1850-1860 census, you know, in the, actually the 1850 census, they were all there, Simeon, Frank, Daniel, and Easter. Uh, Mary uh, apparently had died. So the other interesting thing was on the 1860 census, one of the men disappeared, and it was okay. either Daniel or Frank. Couldn't figure out which one. Still can't figure out which one. And mm-hmm. I was thinking, okay, did he die? I mean, he didn't die because I knew that he was alive. Did he sell him? What the heck was going on with him? Well, um, I purchased all of the slave records for Orange County, and I kind of keep going through them because I always find new things when I go through them. And I realized that I had a court case for Frank Harris for 1863, free man of color, where he purchased a pound of wool from another slave who the law say that he had no right to buy it from. There is this big court case, and he was fined $20. You know, he confessed, and he's fined $20. So this Frank Harris was the only black Frank Harris in the county in 1863 or 1870. So it has to be my Frank Harris. And so I'm thinking, wow, so he freed Frank Harris, you know, before the start of the Civil War. So then I found a, um, because he was the only one missing in the 1850 census, the rest of them were in the 1860 census, or actually one was missing. I still don't know if it was Frank or Daniel. So then I was hap- I happened to be going through it and picked up, you know, tax record that I kind of passed over 10,000 times. So I was flipping through the tax records and I saw Elsa Harris's name on it for is a tax record for 1863. And in it he says he has no slaves. So you know, initially I thought, uh well, I don't think he sold his slaves because the family history from uh, family cousins that I've met since over in Durham, they said, oh, no, Easter was free. She was a free person. She wasn't a slave. And I kept telling them, no, she was a slave. I have records that she was a slave. So it appears at this point that sometime between 1861 and 1863, Elsa just freed all of his slaves. I haven't found manumission papers yet or any other documentation, but it appears that he's freed all of his slaves. Okay, let me take so, you back. You know, I'm listening. Okay. I'm, I'm really mm-hmm. listening to you, and I'm following you. Yes. And I'm also trying to follow all the different documents that you're touching because anyone who would want to, let's say, replicate or do some, follow some of your steps may want to look at some similar items. Maybe in different states they may be different. But, yes. okay, you, you had a tax record, 1863 yes. tax record. In that tax record, you have now found that the gentleman no longer owns slaves. Yes. So you have made an assumption that the slaves are free. Well, no, actually I made the assumption that the slaves have been sold. But on the other hand, if he sold them, well, I don't know if they're sold or freed, but on the other hand, if he sold them, why is Easter living next to him in 1870? You know, why Hmm. would she go back? But... Anyway, um, I I have actually have no idea what may have happened to them. But another paper that I found 
looking through Ancestry.com, was um, enlistment papers for Daniel into the Union Army. Okay. So in 1864, obviously he was free. So he enlisted in uh, the 6th Regiment Cavalry for the United States Colored Infantry. Okay. And he enlisted in February of 1864. So, and he went up to Kentucky and, you know, he fought in some wars. Um, from the records I found that they participated in a battle called Stoneman's Raid in Virginia. And mm-hmm. they were at Camp Nelson in Paducah, Kentucky. They were at, um, um, i trying to remember the capital of Kentucky. Um, he spent some time in the governor's mansion. He worked as a blacksmith uh, during the Civil War. And then he was mustered out in 1866. So that was a surprise. So what a surprise. That, yeah, so I know he was, you know, in 1864 he wasn't a slave by whatever means, you know, he'd gotten free. So, but to kind of bolster the fact that Elza probably freed them was when he came back to Orange County in 1860, you know, after the war in 1866. He Mm -hmm. got married in 1867 to a woman by the name of Frances Nichols. And it took me forever to find their marriage certificate because it wasn't listed under the colored marriages, which, you know, marriages at that time, it would mark either colored or white. And it's just listed, you know, as if he were white. Well, it turns out that – and. You know, I, I finally found it, and he had bondsmen. He had bondsmen putting up a bond for his marriage, which was highly unusual for anybody black. Um, and what the bond was, you put up money, and I don't know how much it is, but you put up money to, um, as a promise that you're going to marry this woman, and if you don't marry this woman, she gets the money. Mm-hmm. And the two people that put up the bond were a man named Samuel S. McBroom, and another man by the name of George W. Glenn, and I had no idea who these people were. And mm-hmm. Louise said, told me she knew who these people were. Samuel S. Oh, McBroom okay. was Elsa Harris's son-in-law. And George Glenn was the son-in-law of Nancy Nichols, who owned Daniel's soon-to-be wife, Frances. So they put up the money as a promissory note that Daniel would marry Frances Nichols. And now, are you finding the uh, MacBroom living near uh, yes, your ancestor? Yes, the MacBrooms live nearby, and so do mm-hmm. the Glens. Mm-hmm. And so I said, well, you know, they have to have some sort of respect for him. You know, he's just come from fighting in the Civil War, and they're putting up a bond, you know, for his a marriage bond for him, which mm-hmm. is why since they got their certificate and they put up the marriage bond, that's why he wasn't listed. You know, it wasn't listed under the colored records. So, you know, so that was another interesting development that I found. Yeah. Now, we have a question coming out of the chat, and the question is, uh, have you given any thought to whether your Harrises could have purchased their own freedom? Um, You know what? I had not given that a thought, and that may be what happened. Um, thank you for mentioning that because that did not cross my mind. They may, in fact, have purchased their own freedom. Mm-hmm. And I will be looking into that. Thank you. <laughs> well, this this came this question came from George Jeter out of the chat. Oh, tell 
George, I said thank you. Well, okay. I guess George can send me. <laughs> well, now, do you think you will be able to fo- follow Lydia or her family back any further? Yes, actually, I think I can because, you know, I've gone back to uh, Willis. Um, I've gone through Willis Roberts' um, record, uh, his the census record, and I've gone back to 1800 where I – I'm following Lydia in 1800, and, you know, he does have a couple of other slaves um, besides Lydia um, at that time, and you can see, like, the slaves kind of dropping off. But then the other thing that I found was in um, he, Willis Roberts lived in Person County, and then before Person County, he lived in Granville. And I was able to find in the Granville books where he inherited uh, some property from a man by the name of Jesse Roberts. And I believe this is the same. I have to make sure that this is the same Willis Roberts. And then in 1770, Jesse inherited uh, property from a man by the name of Richard Roberts in Granville. And mm-hmm. the property, the exchanged property in both instances included slaves. So I'm hoping that I can continue to trace Lydia back through Jesse and Richard, um, slaves owned by both Jesse and Richard, and I was able to um, be able to um, um, make sure that the slave rec- uh, the, the wills were in fact at the archives because according to the records that I found, they said that they were in the Granville Courthouse. When I called the Granville Courthouse, they said that they were they had sent them to the archives, so they're in the archives, and I have to order these uh, wills from the um, from the uh, Raleigh archives mm-hmm. and get mm-hmm. them and take a look at them. Now, so have you I'm learned excited. anything else about your family? Well, um, I um, oh yes, one of the things that I found out is that I have I have a cousin, my cousin Butch, who's a direct a direct descendant through the female line, leading all the way back to Lydia. And I asked him if he would be willing to have DNA testing so I can try to figure out uh, perhaps where Lydia came from. And he agreed, and I found out that Lydia's maternal DNA was L3D. And Mm -hmm. she probably came from somewhere around, you know, the Cameroon area. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that I found out is that we were having a discussion among my family members and also among um, uh, Louise, some of Louise's family, who um, Easter's father was. And I figure Easter's father is probably just another, I mean, not just another slave, but, it you know, Occam's Razor, probably another slave. So mm-hmm. another fam- some other family members thought that he might have been, you know, one of the Native Americans in the, uh, in the area. And um, some other families thought that, you know, Elza supposedly had a close relationship with Easter and maybe Elza was Easter's, um, was Easter's father. So I was able to track down a direct descendant of Daniel's, a direct male descendant of Daniel's, and I okay. asked him if he would be willing to be tested to see if we can identify who their father was, you know, by Daniel's father and by extension, you know, Easter and Frank's father, and mm-hmm. tested him, and it turned out that it was um, it is an African um, haplogroup. group. So more than likely their father was an African, yep. you know, slave on a nearby plantation. Mm-hmm. Now we have two questions, two okay. questions, and one question is back to the Civil War. What was the regiment again in the Civil War oh. that your ancestor served in? Um, he was in one, 
second. I have it written down. The Sixth Regiment Cavalry, um, which was uh, it's on it's on the uh, the flyer that you have, um, and I think it's Company D, Sixth Regiment Cavalry, Company D. Okay, and then the next question is uh, the male. Who was the male who took the uh, DNA test? It was a direct descendant of Daniel, a direct male descendant of Daniel's. Daniel and was we, his. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Daniel was his great great grandfather, and he traces his male line, you know, male to male to male directly to Daniel. And we also have a caller, and the caller's uh, area code is two o six. Would you like to ask a question or make a comment? Yes, ma'am. You're on. You're on live. Okay. Yes. Okay. All right. Go ahead. This is your cousin Butch in Seattle. Hey, Butch. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was just wondering uh, when you're gonna get my copy of that family tree. <laughs> Oh, I've been enjoying listening to you, Gwen. I don't know how you keep all this stuff in your head, but it's it's great. I sure thank you. I'm glad you're listening. All right, I'll let you go. I'll get it as soon as possible, but. All right. All right. Okay, bye. Love you. Okay, well, that was nice to have Bush call in. Yes. Well, have you ever met the family of the descendants or been to the farm where Esther lived? Yes. Um, I was in contact with, um, through Louise, another one of her cousins by the name of Clint, and I think that she met him through um, Ancestry.com, and he was descended from another one of um, Elsa's children. And so we were emailing back and forth, and on my last trip to um, Durham, we met up, and it was really exciting to find, you know, to, to meet him after I'd been, you know, talking to him for a while um, through email. And he was able to locate um, exactly where Elsa's farm was. Louise had a general idea where the farm was. She kind of located it on plats. But I couldn't really, I don't know Durham well enough to get a really clear idea of exactly where the farm was. And it turns out that the farm was right across from the Turrentine Plantation, which made some other um, um, things. Anyway, it makes sense. So he took us to where Elsa's farm was. And there is a new house that's built on the property, and we talked to the property owner. And he had just torn down a fireplace that was had probably been there since, you know, Easter and um, since, since Easter and um, Frank's, you know, existence that, you know, full of stones that had been probably touched by my ancestors. Oh, and wow. so I was, I asked him and I was able to take some, you know, stone back with me that was touched by my ancestor. I was also able to look over the landscape and it kind of put a lot of my findings into perspective, like the fact that, you know, the man was saying, the man actually wasn't from that area, but he learned a lot about the area since he was there. And he was saying, yeah, right across the road, you know, was the Turrentine Plantation. Well, Easter married a former Turrentine slave, so that made sense. And so he was able to point out, you know, a lot of the, the geography, and it was on pretty much the highest hill around, you know, high hill around out of, you know, flooding, and I could kind of get a sense of the landscape as, you know, once I imagined the roads away, as my ancestors would have seen it. And it was just really sort of heart-stopping. And there was actually a slave 
old clay cabin down the road, but we didn't get a chance to take a good look at it. But oh, that wow. uh, probably existed from, you know, the time of uh, Easter and Daniel. Mm-hmm. And so I can just imagine how that felt, though, to kind of be be there on that land and that oh, place where your ancestors walked. I didn't want to leave, you mm-hmm. know, and the man was so gracious to allow us to uh, allow us to um, stay there, you know, and, and walk around and, you know, talk about the fact that our ancestors were there. And it was also it was great to talk to Clint. And they invited me. He actually invited me to his family reunion. He said, you know, I'd be very welcome to come to the family reunion, which Durham always has them in June and July. Hot, hot in June <laughs> and July. So, but I wasn't able to make it. But yes. um, I really appreciate the invitation. Right. Well, you know, your your journey has certainly been a fascinating journey, especially since you had the opportunity to collaborate with the descendant of the slave owner. Now, what advice would you give to others who are searching for their enslaved ancestors One and may, may want to connect with the One descendant? One never give up. And... The thing is, is that by the by the time you get to 2012, um, I would imagine that any slave owner would probably have hundreds of descendants, and if one of them won't, you know, connect with you, and and Louise was the first one that I reached out to, and mm-hmm. she, you know, she accepted, and if she had not accepted, I probably would have tried to find someone else to reach out to, mm-hmm. but she was gracious enough to, you know, when I reached out to her to accept you know, friendship, and we're looking, she's planning on moving to Durham sometime in the future, and we're looking forward to collaborating, you know, together. Now our paths have kind of diverged because she's continuing to try to find the Harris line because her um, roadblock is trying to find Elsa's father, and I'm trying to assist her. Every time I find another Harris that we haven't run across, I keep sending the information to her, you know, to see if if you know, she has that information on that, Harris. And I'm continuing to look along the Roberts line, so our paths have kind of diverged that way. Right. Um, so um, I I just say just keep reaching, you know, keep reaching out. I'm not, you know, it, it's, what, 150, 175 years later, I'm, I'm not upset, you know, that they were enslaved. And I told her, and she was quite shocked to find that Elsa had slaves because it was a small farm. She had no reason to think that he had slaves. She knew that he mm-hmm. was a, you know, he was a middle class farmer on a small farm, and there was no reason to suspect he had slaves. And as a matter of fact, I think it was shortly before I co- contacted her that she discovered that he had slaves. She had no idea. It was mm-hmm. not information that was passed down in the family, and she just thought that her family just had no, you know, taint of slave ownership. And mm-hmm. but by family stories passed down, you know, it it I don't think he was one of those slave owners that, you know, beat them. I'm sure they had no choice but to follow him, but I don't think that he was like a really harsh, horrible slave owner, even though slavery is a harsh and horrible condition to be in. And by whatever means, and the thing is, is that as um, George Geter was suggesting that perhaps they purchase their freedom, well, in order to purchase their freedom, even if they did, he would have had to provide them with the means to purchase their freedom, and he would have had to accept the money. 
So mm-hmm. he could have said no, you know, on either count, and they would have still been enslaved um, to the end of the Civil War. And as it was, they were all free by 1863. And whereas most of the slaves in Orange County remained slaves until the end of the Civil War. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so he did do, he, you know, he was compassionate, at least in some senses of the word. Well, so, you know, finding finding your enslaved ancestors and, and collaborating with the descendant of the enslaver kind of put both of you all at the table, uh, yeah. to the table of which the uh, descendant had to come to the realization that her ancestor did own slaves. Yeah. And for some, I don't, I don't know if it's, it's denial or, you know, it couldn't happen, but she had to come to that realization. And it, yeah. it sounds like you all had a meeting of the minds of which she accepted and then began to share with you as well as you are now to the point where you're still searching to find information to give her. So you're both kind of giving to each other. Yes, and she's just as interested in, you know, my family tree as it's come down through to me where I'm, and actually I need to catch up because I haven't provided her with all the names that she's wanted, you know, wanted the names of all of these family members. Um, I had been providing her with, you know, all of the descendants of these slaves. Um, so that she can add it to her body of knowledge um, down through to me and, you know, to, like, the current generation. And I'm I'm looking forward to continue to collaborate, you know, with her. And the other thing that she's been able to provide was that some of the other, like, um, the grandchildren have married into families that were um, are now related to her, like the McBrooms and some of the other family members you know, the former slaves of other family members. So the family has been, um, most of even the second generation are related to, um, married into former slaves of her relatives. I see, So yeah. Right, her in-laws and, you know, if they had slaves, those slaves married into our families probably because, you know, all the families knew each other. And if the families know each other, the slaves know each other. So that's kind of increased the body of knowledge. And as a matter of fact, one um, one of the family members, she remembers her, I think she said her grandfather remembering his grandfather talking about playing with him as a small child, Uh which is a piece of, you know, history that I wouldn't have had if not for knowing her. So, you know, so it's, I'm getting a lot of interesting bits and pieces of information. And then, you know, she's talking to some of her aunts and things like that, and we're kind of getting dribs and drabs of other, other information about other, you know, other family members as it was back in the time of, you know, slavery or right after the Civil War. So, you know, I'm I'm able to get little pieces of information that I wouldn't get otherwise, you know, without knowing her. Well, how are you sharing this information with your What's family members? Me? Oh, with my family members? Well, you hear Butch. I, I you know, I, I talk to them as much as they want to listen. <laughs> Sometimes I think they get tired of me. Um, I send out, you know, as when I find something exciting, like when I found Daniel's, um, when I found Daniel's Civil War record, which was really excited exciting to me. I sent that to all of my family members. You know, I told them about the Civil War record. And as a matter of fact, one of my third cousins 
well, actually, he would be my, let me see, Phyllis is my son's fourth cousin. Her children are, would be my third cousin two times removed. But anyway, her children, who are in elementary school, she was a, they were able to take it to their elementary school and say, see, one of my uncles served in the Civil War mm-hmm. in the Union Army, mm-hmm. which, you know, I don't find too many people, too many blacks from Orange County that have served in the Civil War, um, you know, black in the Confederacy. I mean, not the Confederacy, I'm sorry, the Union Army. The Union. And they're able to take that paper to school and say, look, see, this is what my family member did. And mm-hmm. that gives them a much more sense of what their family's accomplishment was. Right. You know, in what a, the what a wonderful of the sense of States. pride also. Now, do you have a blog? I'm still working on it. I've been getting this together. I promise I shall be starting a blog as soon as I finish this interview. Okay. Well, I, well, Gwendolyn, I want to wish you uh, much success in your continued research. Not only that, but I want to thank you so much for joining us tonight and providing the listeners with just invaluable information regarding your journey. Uh, you have just given us a, a lot of information. I'm going to even go back and listen to the show because your journey, uh, it, it took a while but you put it all together. You connected the dots. You paid attention to the information that was presented to you, and and that's what that's what genealogy is all about. So I want to just thank you so so very much for coming on and sharing this story with us tonight. Well, everybody, I want to tell you about the show next week. Next week is a show about genealogical resources in Alabama. As you recall, I did say I would bring individuals on to talk about resources in various states. And so next week we're going to have Frazine Taylor to take us through an interesting genealogical journey through records in Alabama. Now, Frazine is the author of Researching African American Genealogy in Alabama, a resource guide. And she researched Tom Joyner's and Linda Johnson Rice's family roots and ties to Alabama for the PBS series African American Lives Part 2. So I hope that you all will join me next week for this very interesting discussion about resources in Alabama. So good night. And remember, everybody, and I know that this is something that Gwen can say, your ancestors left footprints. Therefore, you should follow the clues that are presented to you through oral history, family records, research at the National Archives, and beyond. You can continue this discussion on AfroGenius.com and the Research at the National Archives and Beyond Facebook page. Also, for you listeners, tune in tomorrow to the African Roots Podcast with Angela walton Raji. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Gwen, for joining me tonight, and thank you to all of you for joining Research at the National Archives and Beyond. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett. Good night, and I look forward to you joining me next Thursday. Good night. Good night, Gwen.
Good night. Thanks again. <laughs> Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.